Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go! What's up, everybody? Welcome to Binge Town TV, and we are finally, finally, finally here to talk episodes seven and eight of The Fall of the House of Usher, titled The Pit and the Pendulum and The Raven, of course. And I didn't actually realize that The Raven is an anagram of Verna, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, Ooh, wow. Yeah, so she okay. is like a personification of The Raven, which is great, which is obviously one of his um, old Eddie's good poems. But, okay, so... First things first, if you haven't seen seven and eight, turn around. If you've only seen seven, turn around because we're about to jump right the fuck in on all spoilers. But come back and follow Bingetown <laughs> TV and hit subscribe because Bingetown TV is our main feed. Um, we have this separate feed for the fall of the House of Usher just so you know it's easily searchable. But we drop every episode we do on Bingetown. We're currently doing Gen V, which is the spinoff of The Boys. Um, we're doing Survivor, which is our first reality show. We just finished Wheel of Time and One Piece and all these good things. We've got tons of shows. Most importantly, go binge listen to Bly or Hill House, Midnight Mass or Midnight Club because we covered all those two and it's spooky season. It's the perfect time before Halloween. Okay, so we're finished. We know all the secrets. Um, It's our fifth Flanagan show we've covered. I'll start with my review. So my review is that this show was really, really fun. Like, I feel like it was the first one that I was like, that was electric and fun. Midnight Club was getting there. Mm-hmm. This one was fun. And I want to watch it again without having to take notes and wait every two episodes to watch the next two after we podcast. Um, because I just want to watch it as a casual viewer. But I, I, in general, I think it was phenomenal. I mean, I think there's a usual with Flanagan. It had a lot of great lessons to be learned about like family and life and greed and all this stuff. Also pointing out like obvious huge flaws in the system, like the pharmaceutical world or the patriarchy or the AI bullshit, all of that junk. So, I mean, it was funny. It was like I, all this Edgar Allan Poe stuff. I was like, I feel smarter just watching this show. So <laughs> um, it was a blast. And of, of course, I forgot to introduce ourselves. So I'm Kathleen. And now I'm going to let Luke, Paul or Jimmy tell you what they think. Let's go in that order so I can jump in next. This is Luke. (laughs) I just want to say that I loved these last two episodes where I was coming into this, these final two episodes to binge thinking like this was going to be a solid show overall, but these two land, like the, the finale specifically landed Mm -hmm. a lot of things I was looking for in ways that we didn't predict. Some we did, some we didn't. And most of it landed for me. So I want to say that I thought this show was was really, yeah. really good. My, the friend of the pod, Alki, said this. He actually might put this up against Haunting of Hill House. That's a discussion for later at the end of the mm. uh, podcast. But overall, like 
I expect it to like it at, like coming into this podcast. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did, but I really, really enjoyed the ending. And this was arguably the best acted of the Flanagan verse. So mm-hmm. that's like a feather in the cap. And um, I'm really excited to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, the cast was amazing. I know one of our complaints earlier on was that the characters are so good. And like when that like Perry or Leo, when their episode is over, we don't get too much of them anymore. But I think the rest of the cast is able to carry like episode by episode. And yeah, you don't get them. But I mean, it was such a fun ride. Exactly what you're saying, Kathleen. And like we kind of already knew the formula. We kind of knew it was going to happen. But how we got there was so fun to guess. And like the moments where everything just kind of clicks. It's just so well done. I loved it. Yeah, it's it's way up there for me. I had a, Even though I watched it in the wrong freaking order. <laughs> um, you gang gang. Yeah, it was still still uh, a lot of fun. So, yeah, classic Gangan move. And let me just put it out there, too, because I was looking this up as you were talking. The overall rating of the show from IMDb is an 8.1. Solid. Rotten Tomatoes has a 91% for critics and 75% for audience. Super solid. I think that's a success from like a peripheral point of view. So it's always going to be tough to have your first ever show for Netflix be one of the best shows of all time. Yeah. We'll get into it later and we're going to put our rankings in. But like you guys said, I agree with everything. Super entertaining show. The genre was pure Flanagan where you're just blending all these genres with horror. You're not watching a pure horror show, but you're obviously getting scared. You're getting creeped out. Going back to our Haunting of Hill House covers, there's plenty of creep counts for this show for spooky season. But this show totally shines. With Like you were saying, Paul, the characters, the acting, you can just name off any character from any episode and be like, damn, that was a good acting performance. I mean, if you want to talk, talk Mark Hamill, you want to talk uh, Bruce Greenwood, you just you just go down the list. But I do think that there is something to be said about the formula. And we already kind of talked about this in the last episode, the formula of beginning to end, kind of knowing how it's going to end and just enjoying the journey will never make it to me an elite s tier show just because the fact that you have that ending that blows your mind that you didn't that you've never seen coming that's what like is the fe- is the feather on top or the icing on top of, or feather the cap icing on top <laughs> how are you going to say the feather on top of the of the sunday uh the cherry on top whatever that's what it is and this show had plenty of amazing things that happened in the last two episodes that like you said Luke we didn't see it coming. Jester, let's freaking go. Come yeah. on. That was perfect. We were wor- we we're worrying. You said there's no freaking way we don't get an answer. And thank gosh we did. Mm-hmm. But it was better than you could have imagined. And I know, yep. Paul, you're freaking clapping, clapping, clapping because you called the hell out of it last episode. I just finished editing it. We dropped that episode today. And I was like, Paul just totally called that entire thing. So there you go. Not the Amazing. Jester, but he got the wall. Well, no, he got the he got the Grizz. Yeah, he got everything yeah. with the Grizz, not the Jester part, but what? Yeah, exactly. So I even brought up Body Artist, man. That was that was legitimately that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously, no Annabelle in there though. So I was. That's uh, all right. Yeah. So let's talk about that really quick while we're here. So Annabelle's alive somewhere. Like, no, 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 she's dead. She's dead. She, she had a huge hole in the, hole in the back of her head, and she was young. Were you yeah. watching that she shit? Looked, and um, she looked a little. I was watching it on my computer half screen because I was taking notes. She looked Wait, amazing. Okay, so, haircut. Okay, okay. This is a great 
place to make me feel stupid. Okay, so yep. I was staring at it, and she she got a haircut. She does look a little older. She look old, like fucking sixty years older right. than yeah. yeah. You're so right, and I was thinking that, but I was so confused. Like, what? What is? How did she, she die? When she turns around to uh like touch the coffin, you see a big hole in the back of her head, and right before that, Roderick said. You know, when I took the kids after I threw the money at them, um, she couldn't live without the kids. That's what I thought. Okay. Which makes it great because we didn't predict that. We all thought she was going to be the death instead of Griswold of that night. But oh, I said kill herself. (laughs) But I said it because I didn't say it because he took the kids. I said it because she was disappointed in who he was. Okay. Um, Well, Kathleen, you had that theory that Tammy was going to kill oh, i'm sorry not tammy uh madeline was gonna kill uh annabelle which i was all about and i thought it was heading that direction especially like you know we'll get there eventually with the trial and everything but i yeah. was like kathleen called the shit out of this um and then left turn okay great i'm way happier with that because i'm like annabelle's been alive this whole time i'm so confused Mm-mm. it just it felt so real when it was happening that i was really having a moment to myself because that's the that's the problem with taking notes too because i was probably ripping notes while she turned around and i missed a bullet in her head okay sorry and i want to i want to put one on the board <laughs> for myself for bringing up the the pim and the space time thing which i was very close to getting that right but i was close yeah. enough where that was worth talking about okay. yes so let's hop into seven. Okay. This is Freddie's episode. And and I think the craziest thing about the Freddie episode is while I loved all the Freddie stuff, it really wasn't like the most important stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was going to be like a full Freddie front to back, but we got a lot of good stuff in this episode that didn't have really anything to do with him. But the first bucket we're going to do is like anything Augie and young Roderick. So like when they were young, any of the whistleblower stuff, any of the trial stuff, and then like the little conversation with adult Augie and Roderick about uh, kind of heartbreaking of Augie being like, you know, I wondered all these years why I trusted you. And I figured out it was because if, if a woman like Annabelle could love you, then I could trust you. I'm like, yeah. That's terrible. Annabelle is, yeah. the, is the goat. She is the absolute goat. Um, so anything in this bucket, we can just crack it wide open if you want to talk about it. I just in retrospect think it is so heartbreaking. Like Augie's story is absolutely heartbreaking. Like knowing what Roddy does in the trial and everything, like going back to this scene, Augie is like confiding in roderick that you know yeah i do have i am lucky um I, I forget the exact line of what he called annabelle but he was he said yeah i do have a husband at home he confided in him probably a secret he never told anybody because it was in the middle of the 1970s mm-hmm. and he trusted him so much and then just to have what roddy did it is so heartbreaking thought uh august's actor did such a good job young and old honestly Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love the, I think was this the era of like electronic toys coming out too. And that's why the siren was like the big thing just going off or might just the fire truck. Up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I might be making that up. I wasn't around during that era, so I'm not sure, Paul. Yeah. But. <laughs> they just, they, they had a few of the drops like earlier on, I think I forgot what episode it was, but Rufus had the line, you know, I'm Willy Wonka and this is my chocolate factory I looked it up the movie came out in like 72 or something like that and the book came out in like 64 so the way like the references it's it's great that could have been the first person to ever use that reference back then <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> they're like yeah I made that. That. 
I was actually, if we're just going to talk about anything with this, you asked the question, you said, we need to see where Roddy turns and we need to see how he turns. And I was guessing that it was going to be this, but it isn't really a turn. That's the surprising thing about it. He basically explains this to Annabelle and breaks her heart. And she says to him, you've always been a POS. Like he doesn't get convinced to turn unless it's off screen. Madeline tells him what he needs to do and he just does it. And it just seems like even his reaction to Annabelle, like this is what I always thought I was going to do. This is who I've always been. I'm going to say this now, just because you brought this up. I really liked this show. Like, I feel like I made that obvious. I'm probably, I don't know if I'm on the higher side of this podcast, but I feel like I really, really liked this show. This was one of the worst parts about the show for me. And I was willing to like, I was very open to the idea of in episode eight, there being a couple of moments for him. And there were a couple of character development development moments, including the turn in the trial. And then the, when they actually go to the bar and talk to Verna, he's a little bit of a badass there. Like how he's like the one that actually took a deal, which we could talk about all that stuff later. That was the only two bits that even remotely resembled modern day Roderick. So I think right. that as much as I love QB1, it did not sell. And I guess this is saying more about how good older Roderick is. Because I thought he was one of the standouts of the show, and I just don't think QB one had it in him to be the the OG of him. And I'm not going to harp on it, and I don't want to sound negative because, like I said, I loved it. But that was definitely something that didn't land for me. Like one of two things that didn't land for me. Let me try and convince you otherwise. So I think this whole story is a what could have been right. Verna saying, "Oh, Freddie could have been a dentist, and you would have been a poet, and all this stuff," right? He would have been a poet, like a sweet angel, poor poet who like loves his wife and has two great kids. Right. So just because we don't necessarily see him turned yet. And Mm -hmm. I do see a little bit of it when he's like sassing her and being like, dude, shut. I fucking dare you to leave. Kind of like that sass. Yeah. I think the point of this show, especially with the kids, is like give them anything they want with no consequences and see what that turns you into. Verna made this deal and was like, you will never be caught convicted of anything. Everything will basically go your way for the rest of time. And it's like, and if that's the case, then like you are going to turn into a terrible person. Like there's Mm -hmm. no consequences for your actions. You're just going to turn. And I think like just because we didn't necessarily see it in this, I don't know, maybe two, three month span of like what we saw in the 70s. I don't even know if you could call it that long of a span. I think that over time he becomes Roderick, especially having to be a CEO and like in the in the company in the type of um, you know, what am I gonna say? Not landscape of business and yeah, like a pharmaceutical business, the market or whatever. It's like cutthroat, terrible, murdering millions of people. So I don't know. Something I, I agree with you, Luke, that visually what we saw it doesn't quite compute but there's a lot of years in there there's four just 30 50 years in between that one sentence response jimmy then you go is just i agree with you like that is totally believable i was just more in the opinion of show don't tell and i definitely did not get that jimmy one sentence and then you can go um, <laughs> and then one more sentence after that. I thought you were telling me I only had one sentence. I was like, tell <laughs> me, bro. Um, I don't know exactly what the timeline between the trial and New Year's was, but he also like went in, made out with some chick at New Year's. Like he was still, I think, married to Annabelle. Annabelle was already said she wanted to like leave. Uh, I don't know exactly what it, that is, but there was already some scumbagginess coming out. 
Yeah. So to blend what you're saying, Kathleen, and what Luke's saying, number one is I don't think this is on Zach Guilford. I don't think it's on Matt Saracen QB1. I think mm. it's on, sorry to say, but Flanagan. I think it's on the writing because as much of a Flanny as I am, as much of a gang gang as I am or whatever you, whatever it is, Paul, I think that the issue here is that, yes, Kathleen, you're right, where it is a tale of circumstances where Roddy could have become a poet. He would have become a poet if his life didn't take these turns with Madeline, with the Grizz, with 1979, etc. But there still has to be somewhere shown to us where he turns turns like we're. Whoa, I'm just saying, don't even give me that. One sentence and then you get to go, okay? <laughs> Fine, give me, no, no, I'm I'm going to give you one sentence and maybe like six more and then <laughs> yeah, you can stand go. Stand up for yourself. He's seven, his moment right now. Jimmy's turning into bad I'm turning right into. Now. I'm turning <laughs> to, to <laughs> Roddy. <laughs> My issue is that what I was thinking was we have this character that we were saying young Roddy seemed like a nice guy. He's saying his poetry to Annabelle Madeline's looking at him like, ooh, what the hell are you doing? And then out of nowhere, he turns on Augie, even though, yes, we knew it was coming. We guessed sure. it. But he turns and he does this whole monologue to Annabelle, basically being like, grow up. You know, I had to do this and get the hell out of my face. And he basically heel turned like crazy. There's no showing of why he heel turned. He basically gives us a speech saying, I was always like this. But that's not true because Verna literally said to him, you would have been a nice little poet, just like QB1 Matt Saracen. But instead, you made the turn. Where's the turn? Why ha- Why didn't we see the turn? Have a scene where Madeline talks him into it, and then he, whether he's like reluctant or whatever, but you know what I mean? It just Yeah, I totally agree. Adult... Um, Augie had already said you fucked me over back in the day. So it's not like it was like a surprise to us that he was going to get fucked. So I, okay, I agree with you there. I'm good. I submit. Okay. <laughs> well, that was, that was for Jimmy, by the way, my thumb up. I was, <laughs> one one sentence, you submit. By saying one sentence for me is, is the line read from Madeline, young Madeline, our girl saying, he did the right thing, you fucking simpleton. I was like, oh, my <laughs> goodness. Come on. That's, I wrote that one down, too. And also, just to add, sprinkle this on top, Madeline's probably whispering in his ear this entire time, like slowly turning him yeah. from the game. Well, that's what I'm saying. So. Show me that. I mean, I know that exactly. they are kind well, of showing that, but not yeah. a very, you know, there's undertones of it, but Before, not what yeah. we were expecting. They didn't like show a you punch it. in the face. Here's the heel turn. Physically, they didn't show it to you, but like the like before he went into the room, Madeline comes up. Yeah. He's like, "Hey, you ready for this? Like, are you good?" And he nods. Yes. Yeah. yeah, like they planned so, on it all before. So I know they didn't show it. Yeah. Whatever. Don't need to beat a dead horse here, but my my thing would be that if he was talked into it by Madeline, and he wasn't always a pos, he would have talked to Annabelle and would have been like, "I told you not to come," which he did say. And I'm sorry I did that, but I just had to. Like he would have been nice about it. He would have been like, yeah. I, you know, I didn't think it was the right thing to do but it's what i had to do instead he basically hit nailed her like maddie did and it was just mm-hmm. not what we would have expected and i'm happy because right. that's the biggest complaint i have for the season probably so i'm already off the board of negativity cool. i think yeah <laughs> all right let's keep it rocking so two little quick scenes with uh mostly Roderick losing it over tam this is like the only time we hear of like tam's death really it's kind of like all right see you later it doesn't matter um so 
uh, and he's upset about like Juno getting fucking smacked in the head with the thing. But uh, <laughs> Madeline tells him like, okay, Verna disappeared in my hands. And Roderick's like, go fuck yourself. You're out of your mind. That's not true. And then the key thing here is Freddie is the swing vote. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is going to like kick off Freddie's timeline. But first, just Madeline and Pim talking about kind of kicking Roddy out and having her step in as CEO. You know, she wants to take it out of pills and pharma and go into AI and tech. And she wants to be, you know, top dog. So anything there or should we just rock into Freddie stuff? I have a note here too that Maddie claims that she loves Roddy again, right? And like that's just, doesn't she say something where she's like, I, I do care about him or something like that? Arthur's um, saying like Rod is a great man. Like Pim yeah. is like yeah. defending him when they're having that conversation. I think Madeline says like, yeah, like I do love him. Okay. Yeah. Just, I wanted to bring that up because we're going to talk about it later of like, did he, did she actually care about him or not? So okay. quick side note, I'll be really quick. Um, we find out that Freddie is a swing vote. We know that Vic was also a, a member of the shareholders or she was a shareholder. And I'm guessing Tam would have been too. So my question to you guys is, do you think, that's why Camille hated Vic because I, they don't really give us that reason. We, she hated Vic so much. Yeah, but true. There was, there was the small reason that she was better at hiding it. Like that was really yeah. it. Verna, but, uh, that's what Verna says, but yeah, and Verna uh, knows all though. Yeah. She yeah. does know also. That's fine. All right. Okay. Let's hop into the Freddy thing, man. Our boy was off his fucking rocker in this episode we open with him posting pictures all over the wall of him and her fucking crazy like a true psycho this is like getting into some like horror shit the story about the day they met about him being you know like lonely all the time and then she came up to him being like you could look like you could use a friend and then like being like ruthless or toothless and then him ripping her teeth out and he would have been a dentist it was all really good stuff Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I mean, let's open the board all the way until, you know, the Lenore stuff, if we want. We can, any any Frederick stuff, because this is our sayonara to, to Frederick. Loved it. Um, Him just sniffing in between every sentence because of all the coke <laughs> that he's snorting is just so good. Uh, I know, just little tweet details here and there. So question for you guys, because I did not know how to take this. Um, he learns from Roderick that he is the swing vote. They didn't even call him yet. He says, when they call you, don't answer. So they call him in the next scene and he answers. Yeah. Do you think he was going to be the swing vote and try to take over the company from Roderick? Oh, yeah. Bro? What? Wait, yeah. wait, wait, you think he was? <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah that's what, he was big dick in it, I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought he was. He was oh, high shit. on coke. He I missed all coke. of that. Yeah. I'm the heir. Yeah. Like, I'm taking I don't over. Have the- yeah, I don't have the the uh, quote written down, and I should. And it's the the quote that Roderick tells him to tell any of the shareholders if they call. He reverses that quote and basically uses it against Roddy when he's talking to the shareholders. And yeah, he's basically saying, you know, I'm taking over. I like that. I don't know how I missed that. There's my miss, Kathleen. You missed the Annabelle death. I missed Mine that. Mine was a little more obvious. <laughs> now, like Freddie, Freddie's interesting because earlier I Fred think it was so. like. A- episode fredzo like episode (laughs) five he had a line where he's like looking over his wife on on the hospital bed saying like it just shows to go you and like he flopped the go and like you know what i'm talking about and like i don't know if he was just doing that 
like they kept it on there because it just shows that he's a complete idiot and <laughs> like it was an accident and they were just like fucking keep it keep it or if like it was scripted but he's such an idiot i couldn't tell on the phone if he was just flopping that because he's stupid or if he's like so yo i'm taking over fortunato like i'm i'm the guy now so the fact that he was feeling confident for the first time wasn't just sucking up to his dad kind of interesting but right when that confidence gets up is immediately he falls down and just quickly i love that verna is just right there the whole time and she's like usually i don't getting this involved but you had to reach for the pliers and i was like oh why did you i'll jump in um henry thomas man he has a special place in benchtown heart we've talked to him and he is like the nicest and i said it earlier in this podcast season of, of this show like he needs to get into comedies he's so freaking good yeah. like his beats his delivery he's just a hilarious presence on screen and with that being said this was like the like from episode one slash two like once we really got to know the family this is like the the plot route that i would was so shocked by I never in a million years would have thought that we would have got to the point where he's torturing his wife and ripping her teeth out. And he's just high on Coke. Like all of this was a wild turn and it was a joy to see. And I do like it a lot in this episode because we were saying earlier in the podcast that it was a little bit boring, not boring, but the structure was getting repetitive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They didn't do that much of the same structure here until the end because they did so much groundwork subtly throughout the season that they didn't have to waste all that time making it feel like the same thing and we get to look at bigger picture stuff which is why i think this episode hit better than the other kids individual episodes for me um but he was a joy in the little bit of time he got and just looking at my notes he was like besides the ending he was barely in this episode yeah, so let me let me jump in because uh we got like insane insight on how the kids grew up uh mm -hmm. with with Roderick. So the two lessons were one, if you want to test a bond, you don't need to break it, you just crack it a little. Second lesson was getting the house in order. You don't have to be a tyrant, but if you don't want to be consistently cruel, then you have to be sufficiently brutal at least once. So these kids grew up in just like a like, I couldn't even fucking imagine. Like, if that's the motto of your house, that your kids are re regurgitating it, like, mm -hmm. you're fucked up. And this was a huge Lenore episode and, like, turning. But we knew Lenore was going to be important. And her, like, breaking the the mold of being like, fuck you, Pim. I'm absolutely not going with your bullshit, you fucking ghoul. When she called him a ghoul, I was like, yes, bitch, let's go. And I was so pumped because the whole time I was like, they're in the other room. Where is Lenore at? Did they send her to boarding school? She's just mm -hmm. right in the other room. I don't understand. So I was glad that they showed like the door was locked and that she just busted through and was like, what the actual fuck? Um, but I thought that was all excellent. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, the death was phenomenal. And I, I did see a tweet where like they open the episode with that little cat clock with the like moving pendulum. And then he dies right. with a pendulum, yep. which was which was hot. And cool. And, and her laying down next to him. Yeah. Gosh. This is a Carla Gugino two episodes too, man. She was yeah, so man. good. In her but, bag, bro. <laughs> yeah, but let's get let's continue giving Henry Thomas his flowers because like you said, he's gonna be swan songing songing pretty soon. So like you were saying, Luke, he's just got the range. He just and and let's just talk about Flanagan shows. We don't have to talk about prior movies he's been in or anything like that. 
He's acting like a druggie with the coke. He's acting deranged. He's ha- hilarious with the bowling and other things like that. Dramatic in Hill House, pompous when he's in Bly. There's just so many different versions of Henry Thomas and what genre he can play. It's just amazing. And I feel like I'm so happy that we started watching Flanagan and it brought Henry Thomas back to our screens again because I hadn't seen him in a long time Yeah, on in anything. And he's been in plenty, but I just hadn't seen him. And now I pretty much get to consistently see him yearly, and it's a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rest in peace, fuckface, uh, with his with his little <laughs> dick out. Not little, sorry, Henry, if you're listening. I didn't even say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This was uh, just, uh, of course, he had to go in just to piss on Perry's like death spot. So ridiculous. He totally could have avoided this if he didn't want to do that. And but, it's always, it's just how yeah. every single one of these are. Isn't yeah. that, you like, called that joke? out earlier this season, Jimmy, and that was that was good because Verna says like you guys all could have gone nicely, but he, she basically yeah. gave yeah. him all the chance. Here you are, um, and also I don't know a whole lot about Edgar Allan Poe, but I don't even know for a fact if this is his writing. But I know that The Simpsons spoofed it in one of an Edgar Allan Poe's episodes. So like the swing guillotine, that's like iconic Poe. I'm pretty sure, and that's the, the pendulum. And same with, uh, you know, going behind the wall just to go to the finale. So it's he does this a lot. And he really, with Midnight Club, when Flanagan gave us the breakdown of what was going to happen in the, the seasons to come that got canceled, he literally quotes the source of where he got the inspiration from and follows through with it. So I love how he's bringing this old material that's still it's it's good for a reason and it's stood the test of time for the reason and he's bringing it back and putting it in such a new style and fashion it's kind of like an ode to those that came before him and he's just like moving it paying it forward so i just love hit the way he tells stories man i've fallen in love with him beautiful agreed and while we're here you guys don't know this i'm gonna do this live we got an email from the fan i don't know oh maybe did you check out (laughs) our email kathleen We got an email from a fan, and she's talking about Edgar Allan Poe, so let's just read it really quick. So this is from Laura. Hello, my name is Laura, and I've listened to your podcast on the fall of the House of Usher. I've been a Poe fan since childhood. I know these stories and poems, so I'm loving how this show has paid so much love to Poe. I'm not sure if you guys yet have yet caught all the references to his stories, though. Even the names are Poe's. Each episode is directly from the Poe stories. The Black Cat is a very important episode. Murder in the Rue Morgue was about the a rough ape killing to me. The series is pure perfection and a love letter to the great Poe himself. Thank you for listening to me, Laura. So yeah, I said this in episode one, I knew that it was going to be referencing Poe and we've talked about it throughout our podcast episodes, but I specifically didn't research as much as I wanted to. I didn't do any research on any of the stories because I didn't want to accidentally figure out any kind of spoilers. I don't know anything about how the fall of house of usher ends. I do now because I looked into it after watching the finale And I'm glad that I didn't look into it because it is kind of telling of how the end of the show is. So, yeah, Laura, we really appreciate that. We've caught some surface level stuff, but there's plenty that we missed. I I didn't know about the ape. I didn't know the black cat was a big deal. Like I said, it's pretty surface level what I do know. Mm -hmm. I love that, man. I and I was kind of craving more content about the post stuff, which we're not poets we don't know shit about that territory right uh so that's a great inf- informational um email in there because alki was even saying he didn't know how much was actually pulled from poe besides 
symbolism and a couple of poems here and there, but it seems deeper than that. And I love that. But I want to say one more thing about this final scene with Freddie, because we're going to walk away from the Freddie stuff. But I want to say a thing about Verna real quick, because her, we already mentioned it, her personality comes out so much more as like the devil in these two episodes. And I, I fucking loved the little switch on where she starts being charismatic and, and like being involved more. And she even says here that, she never gets as involved as she did with Freddie's death when she when she basically had that weird moment, which I noticed earlier, but didn't even take a note yeah, on. Yeah, like that's why what I he was like, gonna ask. He mm-hmm. called himself on the phone and we find out that it was Verna makes that even better. Um, but I do love that she got so directly involved and basically caused him to take the nightshade, which we've been saying since I brought it up on episode one when they mentioned it, that mm-hmm. the nightshade was going to be directly involved with a death. And this was like perfect. Fuck yeah. The kill was mm-hmm. so well done cinematically and he felt it all too symbolically and he felt it all yes yeah. i even loved where like you said luke verna gets involved you see her show up behind but then you see maury watching him accidentally putting the mm-hmm. wrong powder into his coke sexy whatever <laughs> his coke pouch or whatever yeah. so <laughs> Yeah, it was oh, so good. Verna, Verna in a hard hat. Talk about sexy. I was like, Hell ooh. Yeah. Hot mama. Um, okay, yeah. Freddie, we love you, our guy. You were you turned out to be a psycho, and uh it was pretty good. Okay, next we're gonna talk more noises in the basement before we jump into Madeline going to the new uh the new house. So or the old house, sorry. So Lenore calls again. Every time Lenore calls, there's like a noise in the basement. It's just how it goes. And Augie is just fed up with the bullshit. Roddy says, you got me dead on rights for murder. Like, which we now find out is Madeline. I assume he meant not like I thought for when we saw the Lenore thing later, I thought he meant her because that was the body in the house. But then, of course, I mean, Madeline's just like, what did he think when he was hearing all that stuff in the basement? Like, I don't understand what he think. He's just crazy. (laughs) He was losing it. Also, I think. When he said murder, I think he was originally talking about uh, Rufus, and then he was like two, actually, and then yeah. referring to Matt. Okay, all right. So the original was Rufus. All right, cool. Um, they'd have to knock down the wall and, and see him, like to see a skeleton in that fucking jester outfit. Terrifying. That's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Um, we get the clock chimes, and he says it's probably Freddie micro like micromanaging like the rest of the kids have, which I thought was like so funny. And then right. we just get Annabelle and baby Freddy showing up. And of course, the scare of Freddy getting chopped in half, basically, which was foreshadowing to his death, because I don't think we had seen it at this point, but maybe we already did. I'm not sure because my notes are bucketed. But anything before we jump into the Madeline scenes? That should have been the telltale sign, Kathleen, that Annabelle was dead. A hundred percent. Like, <laughs> and, and I was thinking that because I'm like, oh. That was before we get the Annabelle stuff with the bullet in her head, right? Mm-hmm. So I yeah. was like, okay, good, confirmed. Annabelle's dead. Like we've only seen dead people come back. Like we haven't seen anyone from his past that isn't dead come back. Hundred percent was just stupid, stupid, <laughs> stupid. Okay, so opening the floor for our girl Madeline going toe to toe with Verna, the two baddest bitches in the in the fucking universe and outside of time and space and inside of time and space, these two can go toe to toe. And Laura, I'm sure you absolutely adored um, Verna's telling of the city and the sea, which is one of his like big poems, Edgar Allan Poe's big poems, fucking phenomenal boys. Take it away. So, so good, man. When she started stepping in there, 
and she started talking to Verna like she knew her, like what was going down. She's like, let's talk terms. I want a new deal. I was losing my shit. I was like, this is so cool. I mean, we were kind of talking about it. We were flirting with it, tiptoeing around what it really was like the the whole thing. But, you know, deal with the devil is pretty much, you know, it could be the answer for all we got. So um, really cool. Uh, I love the line. You know, have a seat. Like these aren't for us; these are for the boys later. Yes. Just, yeah. Oh my god, so good. <laughs> and yep. then um, she called her, you know, my Cleopatra again. Just going mm-hmm. into the whole immortality, the pharaohs, the whole thing. Like you said, the two powerful, most powerful women in the show just clashing heads. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought both Madelines were. If we were doing MVP for a podcast, Madeline, the character, would win it collectively mm-hmm. from both of them. Especially the younger Madeline got a lot of screen time and I loved her. But older Madeline like changed my whole opinion on her in these two episodes. And I love that she tries to change the word pack with the devil. Like she says, like, you know, I'm not a human. And then the way Madeline tries to dance around it, Verna says... So you're blaming Roderick or rhetoric? <laughs> it's just like such a <laughs> perfect way to say that um, yeah. because it, like you could feel the tension and we already it was probably predictable to 90% of the audience by this point that it was a deal with the devil or Mephisto or a, or a demon, whatever you want to say. I don't know if she ever said she's the devil itself, mm-hmm. uh, but even with all of that being predictable, it landed in a perfect way that this reveal even though jimmy nailed it after two episodes like was still so satisfying because there was nothing like writing wise writing wise wrong with it and this just really went to escalate both or elevate both verna and madeline as just great presence in the show two great actresses toe to toe carla gugino i had to tweet that she's the goat and I don't think I said the goat because I feel like everyone uses that too much. But I said something like she's so freaking good. Well, I don't remember what I said, but goat is greatest of all time. There's only you're only supposed to have one. And I think I say goat every other sentence, but <laughs> she's phenomenal. I just I couldn't get enough of her. These two episodes, we mm-hmm. talked about how I think I specifically said it in our second podcast where I was worried that Verna, a.k.a. Carla Gugino, was only going to be like under undertoned as a character in the background Mm. of the show and i was worried because you know haunting of hill house we get carla gugino the other ones she's not a main character we're not seeing her all the time obviously she's in gerald's game with our boy bruce greenwood but for the flanagan shows we haven't really gotten her highlighted since hill house so the fact that we got her for usher so so satisfying and this scene specifically both of them just like flexing their acting chops great scene so fun yeah flanagan was like fucking around in these episodes he was absolutely having a ball i mean if you're like a right i'm assuming this because i am i am not a woman of the arts podcasting is as far as i get into the creativeness but like if you are an edgar Allan poe fan and you get to like have this character do the city in the sea, which is obviously like she's like Verna says years ago, I offered you certainty tonight, clarity, no strings. Right. And then he gets to go into all this post up. we get great scenes flashing in between. And the stuff beforehand was so fucking good. Like she wants to renegotiate. She's saying words got us into it. Words can get us out. Madeline is like a fucking businesswoman, right? She gets shit done. She's like, I don't care that you're like, a, a, a fictional being basically i don't <laughs> care we're gonna negotiate this it was fucking awesome 
after they, she snaps her neck. Yeah. <laughs> no one snaps a neck like Madeline. That was the yeah. easiest neck snap I've ever seen. She uses like her fingertips, basically. Yeah. It was She's incredible. like, I apologize. Sorry yes. about that. No, no hesitation, sorry, too. Yeah. And so, I mean, Mike was just absolutely crushing it. Like, my last one from him is, you're a collection of impeccable, elaborate masks in an orbit of a stunted heart. Like, come on. You're kidding. You're kidding. Mm-hmm. This fucking yeah. guy. That's uh, what caused the next snap, that line. <laughs> yeah, literally. The only thing I have to say about this is that this is when I started questioning because in five, six, we had said we were happy that Madeline didn't know she made a deal with the devil. But it, and then I was like, she wants to renegotiate. She obviously knows she made a deal. But I like in episode eight, they clarify that it, it kind of becomes fuzzy and they were misremembering it. And it became something where they were like, huh, like a, a delusion shared by two people. So at least like they remember it happened, but they were like, was that real? If that didn't happen, I throw this whole show in the trash. <laughs> like that was that I was the Imperative. literal saving grace of like yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. If that didn't, you know, I feel like we all would have been shitting on it because like you make a deal with the devil, you have that kind of night, you remember it. So that saved almost everything, even with Pim too. Yeah. And I take it like Perry's kill, his murder, where all the workers that were innocent were told to leave, but they couldn't really remember that they were specifically told to leave. It was just like this feeling in the back of their head. Like, I feel like I was told I need to leave. So I left. That Mm -hmm. was, that's great connection. Love that. Okay. Next. Juno, our girl, Juno, who ends up, let's just say it on top, on fucking top, baby. She's the queen. She's Uh, the winner. So Juno, we find out is on 2000 milligrams and she wants and the doc wants to up it after she gets doinked in the head with the fucking microphone. So she is teeing up the conversation she has with Roddy that she wants to wean herself off. Right. And Roderick's like, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Absolutely not. He does this incredible, incredible spiel about like, no, it's not addictive. But yeah. and then names every symptom of coming down of, of after getting well, as Luke would say, <laughs> getting down uh, off, off of the drug, which is so funny. Like everything is so like PC, not PC, definitely not PC, Um, like, you know, Legal. business washed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Legal like you would never say anything. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. It's, I don't know. My brain's not working. No, it was so good. Absolutely amazing. When she goes, I married a monster. And he goes, no, I'm Victor Frankenstein. You are the monster. Like the, this perfect creation. Incredible. You are a miracle. Your body just soaks up the ligadone. My drug is water and you're the flower. I was like, oh, my God. I would be <laughs> bawling crying if I were her. Good <laughs> yeah. for her to be able to stand up and look him in the eye. So I think he de- genuinely did love Juno, just not in the love sense. He loved that she existed and there was a heroin addict that was able to just take milligrams and milligrams and milligrams of this drug. Yeah, Rod, Rod slays and I'm putting it on the board now. Like he's up there with Father Paul of Midnight uh, Midnight Mass and just like in non main Flanagan castmate performances that makes sense like not the yes. reoccurring characters but one of the characters that just shows up and just slays in acting and he was every single time he gives like even a mini monologue it's just gripping and so well written and just so well acted which brings me back to what we brought up last podcast how was everything reshot how was the show going to be without him okay there's no way that it would have been as good well no I, way. Had, I had seen 
Raul posts something uh, today. He was posting basically what he did. You know, the, the actor strike is still happening. So what he did was he posted each of his castmates of Fall of the House of Usher from a different role. Like he posted, you know, call it Greenwood in in um National Charles Charge. Well, he didn't, but no, like different things, just like all different things when they were young or whatever, to kind of be like, these are my people. This is me celebrating it without actually posting like a poster for Fall of the House of Usher. But then he said, like, because this was shooting or about to shoot soon when we were uh interviewing Henry Thomas, which was in 2021, right? So they were in still heavy COVID protocols. Like he posted like all these people, like crew, everyone had to miss their families for six to seven months because you were isolated. You had to quarantine. You couldn't like go back and forth to home. Everyone was in like insane things. So like I guess people were giving him shit for posting those different ones, like pictures, like as a loophole. But he's like, I'm just trying to give props like I love this cast. They did an incredible job, like blah, blah, blah. So, I mm-hmm. mean, uh, like just yeah. fucking phenomenal acting all around. It was a 10 out of 10. Yeah, he was saying like, you're not supposed to promote any of the works th- yeah. re- that recently came out now because of the strike and they'll still give him money or whatever. So he was just trying to respect the whole crew and everything. And he's the man. I saw that post, Ro Coley. I yeah. like, I think Jimmy, you said this early. He is hysterical outside oh, he's, of he's the, the, the show too he's yeah. so funny he's a savage he really is i do want to say um i was editing episode the last episode and you had justice for juno as a slogan and i love it <laughs> justice for juno <laughs> she, she got, got her justice yeah, yeah. she did you, she's probably who you want to be i guess eh, i mean maybe not how much rough did path we... there <laughs> In episode one, uh, our, our uh, coverage of Midnight Club, episode one and two, I literally said, who's your favorite character and why is it Anya? Like, I <laughs> yeah. love Ruth Cod. She is that yeah. bitch. She's so good. All the women on this show are fucking tens. Okay, let's uh, rip through episode seven. This is the last scene. So it's Madeline visiting Roderick in the basement. And I don't know why they thought this would work. <laughs> like, And he just goes along with it. He, she's like, all right, like, the deal was we got to we came into this world together. We got to go out. So I'm going to fucking kill you right now. So take these, you know, t- 10 or five at a time. You got to you got to take them fast, like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to bring this back because I, if you remember in Hill House and Bly, I'm pretty sure we did like boops and bops or whatever, like Bly yeah. when they would go in and out and touching each other to like go in and out of each other. And then in mm-hmm. Hill House, when um, Poppy would like pop people in and out of their like dreamlight state they she does this to to roderick which was incredible and then he's like wakes up and pukes everywhere and is alive and i was like i love that that feels like a callback the the cinematography of it was amazing like it was just dead silent and it just stayed there for so long you knew it was coming and then she just that was just i I really love that moment but also shout out to jimmy the cling, the clanging wasn't the bells. It was the shackles, right? Well, it's that, both. Yeah, it's, it's both. The, okay, but it's so you the were handcuffs. Both right. Yeah, it's the handcuffs, and he had the bell on his head. So I'm assuming. Right, it could be both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they do say the subtitles like metallic clanging a lot. Like yeah. at least in this episode, I don't know about the first one, but it means a lot that you gave me those props, <laughs> Luke. Yeah, James. I mean, this uh, this goes back to however many episodes ago it was when Roderick was trying to kill himself. He was trying to work up 
the courage as he said to go through with it and he was thinking of all those ways he was like i know there's only one way to stop it and i can do it so it's wild that he does it now when there's only literally madeline madeline left because she comes in and says like you know freddie's dead like there that's it there's only i guess it would be saving lenore too so that was the definitely another reason why roderick might have actually made the sacrifice but when he's downing them and she goes that's a legend that's a king for saving us all. I was fucking cracking up and I was like, fucking, I will take those pills if you sell me that, Madeline. That was so good, man. She and he does it right back hun- to her in the yeah. next episode when he's like, You're yeah. queen. I you love queen. A goddess. I love that too. Any thoughts on seven before we jump in? I, the only thing I will say, and it'll lead us right into seven is I don't think they understood that Lenore was next. I don't think mm. they thought Lenore was fair game. I think they thought it was kids. And then when when she's on the bed being like, like, yeah. man, I don't know what what they thought I was saying when I said bloodline, but bitches, right. it's bloodline. <laughs> Luke, <laughs> that was a great line read. <laughs> yeah. Luke, yeah. to go off what you were saying earlier about did Madeline really love Roderick or not, at the very end when he's like finishing the the bottle, she like kind of like smirks. And like the way she like plants everything on him and walks away, I, I'm like, I honestly don't know. I'm like, is she just like so emotionally detached and she just doesn't like show it? Um, I don't know. I, I couldn't got, tell. No, I got a little bit of that too, which is part of the reason I questioned it. And then also this next scene that we're going to talk about after Rod gets up and throws up and he talks to Pim in the boardroom with uh, Madeline. It seems like it was all a board play, right? Like it was a succession kind of move. There's so much that I still am not convinced one way or the other if she if they loved each other. Like I know it seems more likely that he loved her, but again, we we can talk about this more at the end after the kill. But a lot of it goes back and forth. I don't know. I really can't get a good read on Madeline. I'm still sticking with my guns here. I don't think she. I think she cares, but I think she cares marginally about him compared to herself and her eternity like her being immortal and the usher name and business she literally she literally has him kill himself so that she can one break the contract she thinks so she can stay alive and two then he's gone so she can take over Mm -hmm. if she cared about him she would she would be like spoiler alert we made this deal together let's die together i will take these pills with you yeah, hug it out and die. So, and that would have saved Lenore, by the way. If they're yeah. thinking that Lenore's a yeah, I hate to jump ahead, but do you think Madeline was still like rustling around down there because she couldn't die without him dying with her? Like, is that why she was still alive, Be- even with like a I, knife through her chest or whatever the fuck he did? Like, ripped her uh, eyes ripped out. Ripped her eyes it's, out. It's, <laughs> we already kind of alluded to this. It's freaking insane that he's down. He's upstairs, hearing her moving. Why isn't he being like, why the why the hell is she moving? I just ripped her eyes out and I killed her. I thought she she was given the same poison either that you could say it's the nightshade, which it isn't because she's moving. So we can assume it might be the same poison that the Riz gets mm-hmm. something like that. The cyanide that keeps him like he's allowed to move and stuff, but he will eventually die from it. He's just chilling. I don't, yeah. there's no reason to be so calm when he's talking to Augie and being like, yeah, that's Madeline down there. Could there's no the, reason for her to really be moving. She should be dead. He ripped her eyes out. He freaking killed her. Stra- uh, it could be the dementia, why he's like not even worried about 
her the sound of her and everything like that like the actual he dementia she's, he could so. think she's dead and he's just hearing her now that she's dead like mm. he hears his kids but then again yeah. augie That's shouldn't cool. hear it but whatever yeah i figured yeah. i also thought he used the nightshade and not the cyanide so the nightshade eventually it wears off and you get it back um and i mean if all he did was pluck out of her eyes and you know she wouldn't be dead he you stabs know? her ass he, he gets a knife Unless yeah, he, he gets the eyes, yeah, true. Plucks it out. True, true, true. I she um, had, yeah, it's hard to. Tell. I I think that it, yeah. Again, I don't know if we want to talk about it yet, but I think it was the cyanide to kill her, and then rip the eyes out, and everything down there is their crypt, their their coffin, their sarcophagus, whatever you want to say, because they're Egyptian god and goddesses. But I don't. Yeah, it could it could have been either. Well, it was also super poetic because when. Madeline finally tells Pim to go get this girl that they're talking about. She's like, I want her eyes. Bring me her eyes. Like, oh, that's yeah. how I know. And at the Good end, callback, hey, I brought that. Popped I brought out. that up last episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it ties into connecting this. It to this. <laughs> just saying, like, literally missing out. some props. Kathleen, you brought this up last episode, but her <laughs> eyes, she was saying, bring me her eyes. <laughs> hey, I have one sentence, okay? And then you're going to keep going. Um, okay, so quickly... Verna like reads him for filth and is like, you don't get to die. You've killed millions of jillions of people. And that's just people who have died. Many more, just as many are as addictive, ruined. Like your tally is fucking impressive, you know? So that happens. Opening bell. We're going. She has a few more transactions left. We already talked about Pim showing up to, you know, clean up the Lenore situation, but she doesn't stand for it. Um, we also get that the board did boot is going to boot Roderick for Maddie. Um, so, you know, Freddie's dead, so it's whatever. But uh, yeah, so Roddy's done. And then uh, we get some details on Annabelle. So uh, Roderick said Annabelle had custody and he couldn't stand it. Uh, so when they were older, he bombed them with money. He choked out all the Annabelle in them. So anything that was good, all the Annabelle that Lenore has. He he ripped it all out and and apparently this is when she kills herself, which I didn't understand, but now I I really do understand it. But um, anything about Annabelle that you want to talk about? Because this is kind of her swan song as well. Heartbreak. Too good for Roddy. Yeah. Do you imagine being it. Annabelle, like just being her, and you just married the wrong guy, and all of a sudden now your kids are gone. Yep. The last thing I'll say is. Uh, I was I've been seeing some comparisons of Poppy from Hill House. You know how she was with the like flapper. She wore the thing on her head, like mm -hmm. in the green, ex almost exactly like Madeline's dressed up on New Year's. And they I've seen some parallels. They do look great. Like it is almost like a callback. And when they first, when I saw that before watching Seven and Eight, I was like, oh shit, it's a Halloween party. That's where the jester's gonna come. And I was like, wait, no, it's not. Never mind. And then just never thought about it again. Like, I didn't think it was going to be Rufus, but I did think Jester when I saw that tweet. And I was like, oh, it's a Halloween party. We should have called that. And I was yeah. like, oh, but it's, it's not Halloween. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I know. I know. It's yeah. a Halloween themed New Year's Eve party. I don't know. Costume party, whatever. <laughs> I like oh, it. True. That's even. Yeah, we would not have guessed that. All right, let's get there. It is the New Year's Halloween party, and it's a fucking blast. Rufus is like absolutely patting our guy on the back and our girl. They're partying. Rufus is like hyping this guy the fuck up. Meanwhile, our kids had a 
a more nefarious plan in place. Now, open, open book all the way until the brick by brick. So let's just rock it. Go ahead. Only thing uh, really that I have that I was cracking up at is when Roderick walks away after they give Rufus the wine. He's like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. And some dude walks up to him and is like, hey, you're my hero. Dude's just in just like a Jaws costume because it like <laughs> just came out. Like he's getting oh, eaten I by a shark. That. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say when Madeline licks uh Rufus's ear. That when, was when, when you that's why I, I did that just now. I didn't want to be creepy. I just thought that's what you were gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> no, but her seduction, I'm like Rufus worked it would worked on me. Uh, yeah, sorry, Rufus. I mean, I get it. She she's this is part of the scenes I was talking about earlier when I said she really just like shot up in the ranks of characters because she got so much screen time here and she was just charismatic and great at running the plan, conning him. Um, and Jimmy, I, I feel like you did your ears perk up when you heard uh, uh, what do we call Rizzy Grizz? Grizzy Riz? What do you call him? He, he calls him the Grizz. He calls him Grizz <laughs> when they're talking. So it's Rufy Grizz, but he does say Grizz when he's talking to Augie later. Like he actually yeah. calls him Grizz. I yep. fucking love that. That yeah. Paul kind of, yeah, halfway got there. But, but you're then, saying um, they gave him a roofie? <laughs> no, no, no. What I was saying was that uh, when 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 he walks up to Roderick and says, he calls him a made man, I just instantly thought of uh, Sopranos. Like, isn't that a thing? Oh, yeah. He's oh, like, yeah. you're a made man. Like, you don't have to worry about anything anymore. I'm like, Alki probably loved that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, made this whole man, scene, like, like the mob. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's pretty much what he was getting into. Uh, he would have probably been fine if he just if they didn't kill Griswold. But uh, this was just like the most brutal death ever. Luckily, Incredible. they save it by saying that when he falls asleep, he's not going to wake up because I thought it was the whole body thing where he's just going right. to sit there for three days until he lo- until he has no water and dies, which in the darkness horrible. Like I couldn't even imagine that that level of death. That's the equivalent of waking up buried underground. So Mm-hmm. Um, at least they were a little bit sympathetic and not just like super heartless killers. Yeah. Mm. Cause I was thinking about, you know, if you're really desperate, couldn't you like rip off like basically your arm, like your hand, like, your <laughs> like slip them out of there. Um, but the fact that they had that, you know, cyanide in there, that would really kill them. And you're behind a wall. I mean, oh, I guess, yeah, it, I, I guess, mean, I mean, I guess, yeah, it's still soft maybe for a certain amount of time. Just like how they were, amateurs burying their mom alive but they're not Except amateurs they're fucking professional masons the way yeah. they're now, putting dude, them to the up. practice while having a full conversation they're fully yeah. just laying brick with no like, problem you're not spreading the grout over the front face at all like you guys are amazing <laughs> i literally have a note being like what happens when the workers come back and like who finished this wall yeah. <laughs> and so, is this yeah, up to code we gotta knock this down and start over <laughs> I did like he would know. Yeah, I did like how that guy kind of like stood back a little bit, and the grout from all the up top of the wall was that was new, was still dark and wet compared to the white grout down below. So nice, nice continuity thing. And why do I? If you have a comment, go ahead on this. Oh, okay. So a couple things. I loved Madeline just owning him about the sherry a couple times, Mm -hmm. like just being like, "This guy doesn't know dick about sherry, man." Like this loser. And then two is the you're so small brick. I just wanted to bring it up because that's what. Um, Annabelle said to her in a previous episode, and then she brought it back and wrote that on the on the thing, which I liked. What was that like? Her getting over the criticism, or like what was the? I didn't get that out of the symbolism of it. I I felt like that comment by Annabelle hurt Madeline 
even yeah. though she didn't show it, it actually hit her to the core. So mm-hmm. she was like, hey, I'm going to use this on fucking Rufy Grizz. And because it's definitely going to hurt him. And, and I guess get over that's, it a little bit. Right. Is that uh, or no, my my region. I, don't know. I, I, I think it was I think it was earned. It wasn't just I, like the Madeline Rufus conversation from the previous episode when she goes to his office is like more brutal than we made it out to be on the pod. Like he's he's like treating yeah. her like a, like she's nothing. And so like she wanted nothing more than to prove that he is nothing and he is small. You know what I mean? So I think it was just like, you know, I think the Annabelle thing is separate, but I think it really is a transfer of that disc. Like it's what? like, you know what? I'm going to use this. <laughs> I- I think later back when Madeline, young Madeline does go into Rufus Griswold office, I think he does say like, you are so small when he is like trying to attack her or something like that. So Mm -hmm. maybe that was just another callback from that. But also was the only reason the candle was in there so that he could read the inside of that brick. Maybe or maybe a little bit of light to torment him. Yeah, to read. I go out. It's it's funny that you guys brought up the Annabelle thing, and I'm glad you did, because that slipped my mind for some reason i was thinking that he said that to her and she's getting back at him for saying it to her but i don't know if that's even right paul you said maybe that happened i can't remember but that's what popped into my head yeah also fucking hysterical when he's like come on i'll give you whatever you want three million but you could be whoever you want in the company and she was like, I was thinking COO. And he was like, yeah, well, <laughs> fuck. I mean, okay. Like, Not right goal. It's a good long-term goal. Yeah, good goal. Good goal. <laughs> um, Why is my final note for this scene? It just says clean transition to Verna's bar. Is there like a cool, I forget. I can't remember how we, maybe it's like a cinematography thing. And I didn't write enough details down to know why. Does she like it's, take a swig and then puts it down? And it's like. It's Madeline telling a story. So I don't know how it it might be the glass coming down, but something like that. It, it yeah. is like Madeline telling a story and then they come yeah. to it was the also table with the three of them. Madeline, when they're in the basement after they say, you know, I thought he would be louder. They're like, all right, what do we do? Go back upstairs, be seen. She's like, nah, let's just get away. Go to a bar, maybe somewhere small, low key off the map. And then pops and they're just like, oh, the they really found one off the map. Yeah. <laughs> off the map. <laughs> Outside um, of space and time, baby. Let's go to Mars. <laughs> All right. Dude. So they tell we're at the bar, right? And they're talking deal breakers. And then she offers them, okay, like a lifetime of comfort, basically. What would you give up? Um, she calls them a couple of killers and all this stuff. And then as soon as she brings up Rufus, this is when I would start being like, There's just no way you could know this. Mm-hmm. So, like the fact that they were like thinking, like, man, this woman's like a trip. Like, she what a weird gal it's like you neither of you are gonna make uh, like this woman just called you off for killing someone you're not gonna make a bigger deal out of this yeah right i feel like that helped lean into the fact that like oh shit she might like not just be making up a hypothetical this might be a real deal like if she knows it's something that nobody else knows about maybe she is this like all other power um but then the whole memory thing comes into it so that's why they didn't like freak out afterwards i guess or something this scene is in entirely just wild i mean it really is outside of space and time it's almost like i'm like mixing some of our uh shows together but like gen v with like pheromones it's like something's in the air where they're kind of like high and they're just like they're allowing things to be said where it's not freaking them out too much but you can see their faces are very telling when she does say like just like you killed rufus like they realize it but they're not really they're only taking it like maddie she's doing 
the logical understanding the seriousness of it. She's not outwardly showing like she's, oh, I'm freaking out, man. Like it starts off with, I like you, but you're crazy. It's like one of those <laughs> things where it's like, yeah. oh, this girl, she's cool, but she's a weirdo, dude. Like, <laughs> but then when she starts saying the things that are very like, how the hell do you know that? Then it's almost like, all right, Madeline's getting into like brass tacks here. She's like, so what, what are we, what are we talking here? Like, what are yeah. the terms, this and that? And I wasn't expecting Roddy to be the one that says, I'm in first. The he one believes, the He's the fucking one. He kids. has kids. He has kids. Yes. He already has the two. Maddie does not have any kids. And he is like, oh, obviously I'm in. Mm-hmm. I How think about- Annabelle had just left him and he's ready to rock and roll. Like, he's like, yeah. I got nothing left to lose. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I guess like coming from, they say like rags to riches the whole time too. like coming from the bottom. I guess he's like, fuck man, because she makes the point. What's better? 50 years of, you know, living it up versus 80 years of anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, they made it. She made it super appealing. They're drunk. They're wasted. Yo, you know, right now. I stop. The whole, the whole idea. I know you of, say yes to that, Lukey. Fuck yeah. yeah. Hit that button right now. The next You're generation pe- foots the bill. Morally gray. That's our Luke. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I was like, dude, I could just see Luke just being like, dude, you struck oil. Stop drilling, dude. Like, dude, yeah. I- <laughs> and then they keep gassing it up more and more. You're yeah. never going to lose a single lawsuit. I'm like, dude, just yeah. fucking stop. How about, how about fucking <laughs> Maddie, though? How about Maddie being like. Uh, so how old will he live? And she's yes. like, no, 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 no. You die together. Like, mm-hmm. nice try. But then she does say, you live long enough. Like, they, yeah, it was very surprising to me. I thought Maddie, the one who always seemed tunnel vision, that's one of the things that also cemented Roddy being future Roddy. Mm-hmm. You know, making this deal, yeah. you know, that's the change. And again, we don't know why we didn't really get the change except for the fact that he's basically trying to tell us I was always like this when he talks to Annabelle. But that's not true because he would have been a nice, cute little poet. But whatever. We already talked about that ad nauseum. We don't need to bring it up again. But yeah, this scene was amazing. It was what we were waiting for. The deal with the devil. The fucking cognac reveal too. Yes. Yes. You drink this the best night of your life and the last night on earth. So good. Um, I want to bring up like a couple things that are just not conversation starters, but just cool little things I pulled from this because I'm someone that pretty much I'd like to test religion, but I love it in fiction. I you can check me on Midnight Mass. I love that shit. I love oh, yeah. it in like fantasy books. I'm just not a big fan in real life. And I love that like she kind of leaned into the devil thing a little bit more here, obviously. Like this is the most anticipated scene of the season, and I thought it was the best scene of the season. So like yeah. everything that was happening, I was just gripping onto every single word. And some things that she says is Madeline mentions like a Bible story, which was cool, and even name drops the devil, which I like that. Um, then the the one moment I really liked was Madeline's like, oh, what are you going to take her souls or something? And she's like, you already sold them tonight. Like, that was a really cool moment. And she also and says, like, they don't they exist. Don't, yeah. yeah. Which is, yeah. again, more just uh, religion lore in this in the Flanagan verse, I guess, is how right. it goes. Yeah. No souls. And then the third thing, which I, I'm, I'm shocked Paul didn't bring it up yet, because this is like a cool just saying is when she says, after they make the deal, well, in the ancient world, we'd seal this with blood or spit and then later sign it on papyrus. Like, that was just so cool that it just yeah. shows you how, like what a what a entity she is as like yeah. a religious force. So it's really just. Yeah. like Because we got all of that like in this scene and we didn't get much of it besides reading between the lines for the rest of the episode. So I like that 
they more than confirm that she was the devil. Love it. All right. Cool. So they walk out and they turn around and it's already not the bar and everything gets fuzzy. They were drunk and stone. They started remembering it differently. So then and then they never talked about it again. So that's again, Luke and I kind of already said it. Thank God that save, that the, save the show. Save, <laughs> seriously. Thank you, Mike. OK, lots next. lots to do. You two lots to do. I was like, oh, that line was great. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Pim, uh, oh. Pim. Just like just like Madeline, Madeline snaps the neck. Pim gets her in the neck and she plays along just long enough to like get a fucking shits and giggles out of it, which is yeah. so funny when she was like, you had your little guy out there waiting. And I thought, fuck it. <laughs> she is such a so star. Good. But yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about her talking about like knowing about the Transglobe expedition and like basically that the group left someone dead and they were probably doing bad things to women and all these things. They don't go into detail about things specifically besides the dead guy. Um, but other than that, she just says like, you know, another one of those lessons like starvation, poverty, disease, you can fix all that with money, but you don't, you know what I mean? They do it like um, Viagra pills or whatever they say. That was true. Hold- that yeah. number that she dropped about Viagra and the Pentagon, yeah. that that's a legit number. Yeah, Which is you ridiculous. pause. You pause cinema for a year, and you could fix all your problems. That's crazy. Yeah, that is wild. Also, this time I'm like, hey, we're not making movies and TV shows now. Does that yeah. mean things are getting better? He was, was so meta, it. man. He was very he was, meta. These two episodes. It was crazy. Also, just the again, the Trans Globe Expedition comes back into play, and she's like, "You really don't remember me." I had to come up to the surface yep. to see the boat and everything. I was like, that is just so fucking cool, man. I wanted I'm more. So, I said it earlier, but I'm so happy that it wasn't a throwaway line that Pim described it to Roderick, like yeah. time and space and still. That was just yeah. such a subtle moment. I'm sure most people didn't even realize like in the, when yeah. it happened. I still think that her ring is like the ultimate Thule civilization group, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call that or whatever. Um, thought that was cool. Also, does this just mean that like Arthur is a better person than any of the ushers because like he yes. didn't take the deal and she mm-hmm. said like thank you and then like yep. kind of mm-hmm. left? That's awesome. Amazing. Back. Yeah. This yeah. murderer is a better person. Yep. I want to go back really quick to the scene where they signed the deal with the devil. Just like every single thing she's ever done when it comes to the kids, Roddy, Maddie. It's all about choices. And she literally says, you can do with this what you will. You can do anything you want. And of course, they go drugs, greed. You know, they could have changed the world. Well, they did change the world, but they could have changed the world in a a positive way. There's so many things they could have done. She was, I love how when she's talking to these people, she alludes to it many times. She says, like, I love watching you and I love seeing what decisions you make. And she gives them the opportunity to have these decisions. You know, you can sell your soul to the devil and I'm giving you a choice. You can literally be the best person in the world. You can be Gandhi if you want, and you can change the world with everything I'm giving you, all these resources. Yeah. It just so happens that your your bloodline's going to die. But, <laughs> you know, you're going to live a long life. You're going to change the world for the better. You could do it that way. Or, you know, you can be what they were greedy and just become all powerful and kill millions of billions of people and you know whatever yeah i there's something to be said i think in the beginning when i was watching and she kept saying like oh you could have done this differently 
it felt like there was almost a choice to not die, but there isn't. They, everyone was always no, dying dead. no matter what. Yeah. And I wrote that note down too, James. It is worth talking about that people, when given the choice, it's like they people still just do bad things. It's just human nature to just do fucked up things. It's mm-hmm. bad. Um, but the last thing I'll say about Pim is saying, you know, um, I don't have collateral. Collateral is leverage and I won't be leveraged, which was hot. That was really hot of him. That was awesome. What was the one line she said? Like I said to one of my clients, when I'm done, you can stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and it won't cost you a thing. Was that yep. that seemed like a super meta thing? And I just I Googled it, but I couldn't like who was one of her old clients that what she was talking about. Do you guys know? Was that like a famous in real yeah. world? Shooting? No, I think she was just saying no consequences ever. Yeah. You could literally do anything you want. No consequences. It's, um, it's a slap on the wrist with a blowjob. You know, love that. <laughs> gotcha. All right. He was um, very professional and courteous when he when he declined the offer. Yeah. I yeah, thought she was like gonna it. not like it, but she loved it, and it was just so badass of him to do that. Uh, we covered everything, but this was one of like the last scene was the most expected, like obvious it was gonna come scene. This was not something I expected at all, like a like a Pim and a, and a Verna um, talk. But when he got her and like sedated her and started wrapping her up, like. I was just kind of not thinking about this like a show. Like I was just living in the moment, kind of like Ted Mosby. And I was thinking that what are the <laughs> chances that Verna was the one in the basement, like doing the knocking? I was like, if that happens, I was going to lose my mind. Like if he actually got, got her, her into the basement like that. But then I was like, wait, this this yeah. is a joke. Like this would have been it would have been cool in the moment. But then, no. Yeah. Uh, and then I brought it up earlier and I'm just going to say it again. Like one of the coolest things that we didn't predict was that part of the deal that they made protected Pim because he was like under their shield of can never yep. lose a lawsuit. And that just like goes back awesome. to him doing the him doing the crosswords in the in the courtroom. And also it indirectly basically changed all of Augie's life because he couldn't do anything to right. actually win any litigation. So that was like a again, like it's almost like a get out of jail free plot hole card. So it explains what he was late to court like 30 minutes that one time and like nothing happened. The judge exactly. was like, eh, yeah. whatever, like shit. Yeah. Show has more rewatch value than I thought it was going to have thinking mm-hmm. it was just going to be the cyclical thing. But all the reveals change a lot of things in hindsight. And I really enjoy that about this show. All right, cool. Here's another unexpected thing. So they did a really good job at psyching us out about Lenore. Like I had made a guess that Lenore's consciousness was uploaded into Madeline. Like, I don't know. I was just like, or Madeline's was uploaded into Lenore. I don't even know what I was trying to say. Either way, they did a good job with Lenore, quote unquote, contacting Roderick this whole series to make you think like, oh, she's not dead or she's not like her body's not dead at least. But so, you know, this is Gen Z, baby. Lenore just wanted to fix everything. She wants she wants to do good things. She's like, throw it all away. Start fresh. You have more money than we'll ever need. Let's do good things. Let's start fixing things. And then Verna's sitting on the bed. And she she's not having a good time with this one. With the rest, she was she was having a good time. But um, so the story she tells is that, you know, Maury recovers well a few years and a bunch of PT and surgery. She inherits a sizable fortune and puts it to work immediately gives most of it away, starts a nonprofit, millions and millions and millions of people are helped, you know, doing some good. And uh, but she bops her and and she's dead. <laughs> so cleanest uh, death our, that we're going to get all show. Yeah. But uh, my only comment is just that I think that this was a very good scene spe- uh, specifically for Verna, like characterizing her more than just like the embodiment of evil. So that's I just like the layers that she added when she's like, I don't mm-hmm. like to do this. 
Yeah, I told him the terms were clear. It shouldn't be on me to spell out the definition of the word bloodline. Yeah, um, yeah, that sucks. And it's just so interesting to see Verna like this, like sad and somber, and actually like sorry. Um, Jimmy, I thought we were getting something with our little theory about Lenore not actually being Freddie's daughter because, like, yeah, I, I thought you made it, and I thought you that was gonna escape, and I thought it was gonna be like a whole issue. Or a whole like slap in the face to Roddy saying like Lenore is my favorite. Lenore is like the best of us, and Lenore isn't even an usher. I thought that was going to be a thing, but this was beautiful in its own sense. Just mm-hmm. the way that you know it all went down. Um, she wasn't happy about it. Even the way that Roderick found her, like it was just her body on the bed. It was nothing nearly as horrible as discovering the bodies of the other siblings. Um, and it, it, this was kind of like the final straw. I mean, this is what the other siblings could have had if they weren't assholes, right? Yeah, this is what true. they could that could have been. And Roddy took this one hundred percent the hardest. Yeah, of any of his kids dying, Lenore he took the worst. He thought this was awful. And Verna says, you know, I love my job, but I don't love all aspects of it. And like you said, it's a great speech that Carla Gugino gives explaining all the good that's going to come to this world because of Lenore, but sorry. And there's the bop. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we get this little bit with between Roderick and Augie about Madeline having a sentient AI project. So this is kind of the reveal of like the banging going on downstairs. And he's like, Lenore's dead. And he's like, no, Lenore's not dead. And she's like, this is just a bot. And it's a bunch of nevermore texts, which is a Edgar Allan Poe thing. Um, isn't that also then, the when, the name of the school on Wednesday? Yeah, yeah. Is it like yes. Nevermore School Academy. Nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So now we have boardroom, dead people, all the kids. Incredible. Love to have. I'm sure they loved taping that. Just like all bloodied up and just chilling. No words. Just just vibes. <laughs> I love and that. Harry's probably Easy like, day. my gosh. I have to get all done up and all this makeup every single time you need me for one second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Roddy's just yelling at them, like angry, still scolding, trying to teach him a lesson. And it was like, come on, bro. They, uh, they're not going to talk back. Yeah. One of the, this is going to be one of the scenes that sticks with me when I'm like five years down the road, just thinking about this show, just like the imagery of it not being rain was so cool to me and it was just Mm -hmm. the bodies and his legacy and it was building up to the pyramid even towards the end you just saw it that was just like it didn't need to happen and it was i'm so happy that it did like it in the way that he decided to show us i thought that was a beautiful scene that's your true monument i was like oh that line that line hits pretty hard Mm -hmm. yeah so verna's the one who tells him to call augie which is interesting so then they that's like you said paul those seats are for the boys so she he gets them you know you're gonna tell all bitch this is your tell all memoir <laughs> let's fucking go um but first we have madeline walking in and i loved this madeline roger scene like uh, the the energy madeline was bringing like they really felt like siblings like me and jimmy could have been sitting across the table being like fucking around at the end of mm-hmm. our life like mm-hmm. just being like damn like we built a life out of nothing but dirt and trauma and i just thought like they were the chemistry was really good like they they felt like siblings like twins like you know what i mean like and what would we have done different if we thought verna was real she goes on the spiel and she says like i got an iud because i i I believed it enough that i got an iud which for all the boys out there is birth control Mm -hmm. meaning like it's a thing you stick in so like it's not like you're taking pills it's like 
something inside of you that's like procedure it's permanent yeah i mean it, they last well like, you have to get them five re- years or yeah whatever, but right right anyway this is the viagra bit that madeline says like the world will spend billions on viagra but nothing on like the serious diseases and they're taking away rights from women turning men into cum fountains and women into factories i mean just absolutely like gorgeous writing these um, fucking but- monsters these fucking consumers yeah, did, yeah that- what did you think about the scene did you love it as much as me Oh, yeah, this was was fucking insane. And she's going off of this tangent. She's so reserved and like usually pretty calm and just does the smart thing to so to see her just get unhinged and go off and just be mad at other people like, oh, yeah, they blame us, but they made the decision to use it. They made the decision to abuse it. And now they're angry, even though we uh, so it was just a beautiful moment because like Roderick is like looking at Madeline's whole time, like with almost in all like he's his eyes are tearing up and he's you can tell that there's something going on in the background too um so just to go lean into that a little bit in the beginning when she, they're talking about like why are they even down here um he goes on to say like eh, she's giving us a few minutes to talk so there must be something to wrap up did so he just made that up right because he wanted to honor her and like give her that uh tribute mummification thing mm-hmm that, mm-hmm. That's how I was getting. So you just made up that, you know, lie about giving us time to wrap up. But in the first time I heard it, I was like, I love that. I love that. She, he kind of gets it at this point because he was talking about, you know, now Freddie's going to jump out and scare me. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then I'm going to have to yeah. go into the story. Uh, it, it was kind of like leaning into that. And he was just kind of going with the, you know what, whatever Vernon wants at this point. Let's end it, right? So we'll talk about the full end, any details. So Augie's so fucking confused at this point. He's like, what do you mean it's Madeline? What do you mean? And she finally comes out all crazy, chokes him out. I think she was still alive down there because she has to die with him. Chokes him out with her last breath. And then Augie has this um, line that's like, deep and dank tarn at my feet, close sullenly and silently over the fragments of the House of Usher. And if that isn't silence, lay steadily on the walls <laughs> and whatever of Hill House and whatever walk there, walked alone. I mean, I had chills. I'm like, it, that felt like an ode to my sweet, sweet Hill House. And I loved it. But Juno inherits everything. What a queen. She dissolves it. Every dollar went to rehab. She weaned herself off. She did the three agonizing years. She crushed it. Arthur was arrested. Augie's last FU was to not do anything with the tape and then to just be with his family because that's what life's all about. And he said, fuck you, and basically just left his tell-all for someone to um, steal and write a book and make millions off of. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, um, I I'll just go first for just this whole ending blurb here. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna include some of the the ending of like them actually dying because I thought one of the best most epic depictions in this entire season was as soon as the building collapses and it's and it's Verna just like with the darkness and the lit up eyes and just looking there but and then he turns away and it comes back and it's the Raven. I thought that was just like the epitome of epic and I thought it was fucking awesome to see um why do i i mean i know why i have the note but i can't remember what Roderick is talking about right before he dies he has like one final really badass moment where i forget what augie says but he goes i bet i could have still i bet i still could have sold it what, yeah, what was that in relation to he was basically being like on the pills if i if i wrote what they really were on the pills <laughs> yes. i bet so I cool sold, that is yeah. like i bet i still could have sold Nevermore. it <laughs> <laughs> the lemonade scene is going to stick with me forever and dude yes. Roderick just gets it man he's so yeah. good big time 
so many good things here. Just Roderick saying, I sent her off like a queen. Her popping up with the sapphire eyes and that whole bit it just looked terrifying. The line where Augie's like, are you sure after you honored her that she was dead? And he was like, uh, you know, maybe not. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. <laughs> Our mother was the same way. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, because you thought your mother died and she yep. wasn't dead. And it was just such a his sly little line. And then honestly, when the whole house was coming down, Augie's booking it. Did you guys see that slide he had to the front door? He had like yeah. a two-footed little glide. Yep. And I was like, you smooth bastard. You definitely could moonwalk <laughs> back in the day, couldn't you? Yeah. I don't need to say anything else that you guys have already said. Just obviously the symbolism with how Eliza killed Longfellow with the choke out and then passing out dying right on top of him. Oh, yeah, totally. Made me think, and it's not not a thing, and I'm just going through it in my head. It's It's just funny to me to say, but, you know, how crazy would it have been if, Longfellow and Eliza made that same deal with Verna because Longfellow got everything he wanted. The kids die and she goes to the kids and they die the same exact way. Like they're dying literally. I it's not like it's not that. no, that's I mean, a it's cool, cool idea. Yeah, the bloodline thing would have killed them immediately. Like sure. when it, whoever made the deal has already been dead. But I like that, James. Yeah. Right. The, they would have had to die after their bloodline died. They died they first. Like whoever made the the deal. So if it was uh, Billy, then they would have died as kids because he died when she killed them. Right. You know That's what, I mean? what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. They would have had to die for him to see just like Roddy saw. Yeah. So yeah. it's just the symbolism, though, with the two deaths is is really. Circle of life, man. Circle of life. <laughs> How about <laughs> Augie's line after he's talking to the tombstones? Um, he lays the recording at the grave and uh, he's like, you know, what? I'm going home to my husband and our kids and their kids. I'm the richest man in the world. You know yeah. that? I was like, oh, God, that is such a good fucking line. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Luke, did you have questions for us or something? So uh, we kind of answered the majority of them. So I think let's just all give our quick little summary of this experience as a whole and then we'll do the just quick rankings of how we rank the flanagan verse i know we're at the end so i just want to say a couple of things just like in general like i i've said it already i'll say it again like i loved this show i thought it was really really good um i was a little upset that qb1 didn't develop as much as i wanted to see on screen and then my other complaint which i didn't even really harp on too much i actually didn't bring it up was I kind of felt like the whole AI angle and the phone fake out thing wasn't good enough for me. Like I felt mm. like the whole show was kind of there and it wasn't a big enough reveal for me to really care. Um, sure. Those are like my two biggest things, but like the jester was like way better than I could have imagined yeah. him, mm. him like Luke Skywalker was out of this world. Like I never saw the Verna scene in him playing out as good as it did. The bar scene wasn't fantastic. The acting was top tier across not just Flanagan shows, which are known for good acting across like almost any show I've ever seen. Um, and I love the ending. I thought it was arguably one of the, I would say the finale of this, of this season is a top three Flanagan episode um, that we'll mm -hmm. have to sit on that a little bit more, but um, that's probably where I'm at with this show as a whole. And hinting at that, I think Austria's number two. Um, should I just give my rankings and then let you guys go? Go ahead. Yeah. So, and I'm going to add in tiers just so you guys can know the differences, but it's like Haunting a Hill House is like S tier, top TV, top tier TV. Usher is like right at the top of the next tier. Bly is probably a little bit lower than that. Pretty huge gap, like a couple tiers down. Then I'm at Midnight Mass followed by Midnight Club. Uh, 
just those the midnights didn't really do it for me especially club because we didn't get the ending um but overall like usher usher was the second best man i think this was so good we said it before like this was an avengers moment for all of his actors i'm really happy this was like his final netflix project and hopefully he takes a bunch of these same actors is he going to amazon next do we know that yep yeah that's amazon just yep hopefully a blind check keep going bring everybody in let's let's keep it going because right now like that was I'm hot for this for for Flanagan, man, bro. He kills it, man. Like, <laughs> I was I was we were going down a little bit because Midnight Mass and Midnight Club were his last two, and I thought they were his worst two, and now we're back, so we're mm. we're on the rise again. So I'm pretty happy, and this was like all a rise, baby. Show. Yeah, yeah. Mine, same order as yours. I I think that the Fall House of Usher can be better in some aspects than Haunting a Hill House, but the Haunting a Hill House is just so damn good. This, the way they tell the story and the story itself. Yeah. Um, that's got to be one. Yeah, the same thing. It's just like Haunting, Fall of the House of Usher, Bly Manor, and then, you know, the rest is confetti. Oh, <laughs> The rest is confetti, dude. Got me. Go ahead, James. I'll go last. <laughs> I was looking right at <laughs> Kathleen as I said that. I was like... I'm going to use my time to instead ask a question to you guys that I want to I want to know what you think. Because Luke, I think you nailed it perfectly. My thoughts on the show, on the rankings, I agree. Hill House number 1, Usher number 2, all the rest is confetti. It's exactly how you guys said it. Um I think that still Hill House is 1 and Usher is there's some space there. Yeah. I think that there is some there is some arguments to be made about Bly because there are a lot of people and I was looking up their rankings and a lot of people even have Bly one and there are people that have Bly two and the reasoning is kind of the reasoning Kathleen has so yeah. my reasoning for why Bly is three is I understand how really 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 good it is but I was expecting horror and I got a love story and I can understand how good that is but that disappointed me but if you're someone who can almost be non-biased or prefer the love story, then you can easily put it as one or two. So I just want to say that. But my question to you guys is, there's, I feel like I said alluded like 15 times in this podcast, but they're, they both, Maddie and Roddy, allude to the fact that, yes, thank gosh they said that it was all fuzzy and they just decided not to believe it was real and all that. But Roddy does say as things are happening, I started to remember and I started to believe it might be true. And Maddie obviously remembers something because she admits she got the IUD. Is Roddy just way more of a POS than we even can realize because he realized that this happened. Maybe if he realizes just as much as Maddie realizes it, he still brings these children into the world. Like, oh, you're he, saying, I'm saying she got an IUD all the way back then. Like she still had some memory of like what happened. That he decided her- never to have kids because she remembered the deal. Yeah. And, and I think he said, like, I kind of knew it all along. And then he's like, when they were sitting at the table, Verna looked him in the eye and was like, would we have changed if we thought she was legit? If we knew she was legit? No, the answer is no. Like, yeah, piece of shit. Huge piece of shit. Yeah, Yeah. you're right. Just like Luke. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) 
Hell, I wouldn't have kids in the <laughs> well, first place. Well, that's a gigantic piece of shit. I'm not Maddie, bringing though. kids in Yeah, to die, exactly. So Luke is Maddie. Luke would not have... Right, right. Luke is totally Maddie with the logical sense where he wouldn't have the kids. He wouldn't yeah. be the one saying, oh, fuck them, I'm going to have all these kids. Yeah. That is, a, that is a good angle but also, that we didn't really talk a lot about. I agree, he is a piece of shit. Jimmy's having a little connectivity problems. If you can get it together by the end of my spiel, then we'll let him finish his spiel. But, um, okay, so my thing, I think you guys have insane recency bias. I'm going to call you guys out. I am currently getting my heart broken by Haunting a Pill House for the seventh time. It is phenomenal, ounce per ounce. Like, the way you fall in love with these characters and the way Mike intertwines these stories and they're all flip-flopped and there's not a single flaw in the entire show. Like, I really, th- I don't know when the last time you three watched Chill House was, but you need to rewatch it soon. It is like the greatest. I'm watching this, like getting my heart shattered every second. And I'm, I'm giggling. I love these people. I'm obsessed. I'm just like, it's the best. So Hill House is up here. And I'm sticking with Bly. I again, I need to like sit with Usher, rewatch it again. But Bly's my number two. Jimmy said, like, I, you know, to me, I it was horror. Like, there was a lot of very creepy stuff in Bly. Again, I rewatched it recently. Like, it's not not scary. Like all the stuff, like the lady in the lake is fucking freaky. Like mm-hmm. Flora with the damn dolls. Like everything's kind of scary and that big creaky house like i would say it's pretty hard yet it ended up being a love story but i would say that bly is still one of the scarier ones i don't think usher was scary at all like i think the only scary thing about usher was the kills and that's not scary that's like more slasher like i would say it's more thriller than scary so i would even i would even argue that usher isn't really horror either so um i would I say i don't think i used the horror as no. any of my justifications for ranking jimmy did oh, okay jimmy okay did. i thought you were saying in general no no, no i do so, remember bly being creepy especially yeah. lady of the lake or whatever yeah so i've got i've got uh hill house easy one bly two usher right below bly like i mean like right below bly and then the other two are just like a toss-up I, midnight club has to be last because it didn't get finished um, right but I need to rewatch Midnight Mass. I think the, the my top three are like easy rewatchables every Halloween. The other two I have yet to rewatch and I probably will never rewatch Midnight Club. But Midnight Mass, I'm going to give another shot without having to take notes and just kind of sit and enjoy it because mm-hmm. um, I had never gotten to do that. But either way, like Blind Hill House to me are just so intimate. You fall in love with these characters because every episode you're only with this core group. And this one, just like the ensemble cast is like so large and you only get to spend a finite amount of time with them. I think that does something for me because I am an emotional little gal. So that's why those two are ranked higher. But phenomenal work by Flanagan. I, and Jimmy, I didn't mean to like sm- smack it down on the horror stuff. It's just what I think because I watched it recently and it was like kind of creepy. OK, any any parting shots? <laughs> Jimmy's giving us the finger. Any parting shots? No, I think just this was a win. I'm just so yeah. happy that we're back, baby, because Flanagan, when he's hitting, there's like almost nobody like him. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, those are the episodes. We're going to try and get this out ASAP. Um, I mean, by the time you're listening, it'll already be out. So it doesn't really matter what I say, huh? Anyway, um, hit subscribe on Binge on TV. Like I said in the beginning, that's our main feed. You won't miss an episode. If you're not watching Gen V, get on Gen V. 
we have all the boys coverage as well. So you can go back uh, and listen to those. Um, we're doing Survivor. So if you're a reality TV head like me, you can uh, go listen to our Survivor coverage. And then um, anything else we've done and all of the Flanagan shows we, we've covered. So go listen. Thanks for coming on this ride with us. Um, I love we love the feedback, whether it's on uh, Discord or it's on email like Laura sent or like Alicia sent uh, last week. We loved that. So come talk to us. Tell us tell us stuff about um, Edgar Allan Poe because we're, again, like I said, illiterate. and We don't know <laughs> anything. So please help us with that. And um, yeah, we are Binge Town TV. And the rest was confetti. Nice. <laughs> You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.